37th parallel on America's haunted highway, it's Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange. What's up, everybody, and welcome back yet again to another Christmas-filled episode of Pixelated Paranormal. It's part one for you listeners, but it's actually part two for us because this is uh, us redoing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, not to skip ahead, but it seems like maybe the gremlins were uh, messing with our computers that day and just destroyed the entire recording. Yeah. Weak sauce. <laughs> Well, it was weird because both of our computers stopped. Like Preston's gummed up, and then as soon as his came back online, mine started acting all funky. So NSA, NSA. <laughs> yeah, yep, yeah. Here we are, guys. This should drop on you, I think, right on Christmas Day, as long as uh, iTunes has you know their podcast game strong. So yeah, here we are talking about a little bit of Christmas magic, uh, new content, not the same old, same old. So so from all of us to all of you, Merry fucking Christmas. All holidays. Happy Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Dan, whatever you celebrate or the lack thereof. Yeah. And yeah. if you don't celebrate, that's cool too. There's some people out there that do it. I've got somebody that I know and she was explaining to me because of her religion how they don't celebrate and that stuff. No pagan holidays. Pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah, my little cousins, uh, when I was growing up, I used to always love Christmas so much and Halloween, and then come to find out they didn't celebrate all the holidays because of their religion, and it just blew my mind. Yeah, and they're like not upset but, about it either, which is weird. Yeah. They're just like, huh, not a big deal to me. I'm like, you know, it sucks. Yeah, it's like Tupac said, that's just the way it is. Yeah. <laughs> that's just the way it is. <laughs> God. Steve, it ain't ever going to be the same. <laughs> Let's not waste any time with news because I couldn't find anything other than a body was found in, uh, oh, God, how did I just forget about it? Joshua Tree National Park. They found a body. Ooh. Yeah, interesting. But, I mean, eh, that's not really worth talking about. So, Presto, take it away because I, uh, I led last time. So why don't you jump in and get things started? <laughs> yeah. So the other, uh, the other night, um, my uh, fiancé, Jeffrey, and I, we we won't uh, we won't go through that debacle again. And, I was uh, really wanting to berate you because the notes here says the other night the lady and I. Yeah. <laughs> oh, was that? I learned. Oh, okay, is that one of the things? Little are, lady. <laughs> wait, are you got? Are you guys engaged? I didn't know that. Yeah. I'm a bad friend. I'm sorry. It's all right. Congratulations, yeah, Preston. Merry Christmas. I mean, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not. It's not like one of those things where like we made a big deal about it. Like, yeah, because you know, I guess we're. You guys have both been down getting, that road before, so you're like, yeah, it's just our thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's cool, yeah, man. That's Anyways, go on with your lady. Yeah, so we were trying to decide uh, <laughs> what uh, movie we could watch with the kids because you know it's that time of year and there's a plethora of holiday movies to watch. And uh, I started early with the kids because uh, during uh, Thanksgiving break, uh, we were trying to find something and uh, they had never seen Die Hard. And mm -hmm, uh, nice. so we watched Die Hard 1 and 2. And with that, fuck you to all the naysayers because the first two Die Hards are in fact Christmas movies. They take place on Christmas Eve, have Christmas trees and Christmas music in them. So therefore, they are Christmas movies and they have Christmas magic. Definitely Die Hard 1. I don't know about 2. Dude, 2 took place in an airport yeah. during Christmas with Christmas trees. That's true. That's true. Yeah. It's true indeed. Yeah. 
And, you know, to my delight, the kids were both Die Hard fans. And uh, so I feel like as a movie nerd, I'm winning with that. Because, so, like, you know, <laughs> when when he says, uh, when McLean says, yippee motherfucker, like, do you look over at the kids and, like, look at their reaction? No. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, like, he cocks, so he cocks the gun. <laughs> like, yippee motherfucker. Side note, like uh, my uh, my son on his iPad downloaded the uh, soundboard uh, for Stephen King's It. That's awesome. And he was all excited the other day because they updated to chapter two. Ah. And uh, he came running into the room. He's like, Dad, 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 don't be mad, but listen to this. And uh, he pressed the button and it was Richie Tozier like, we're going to get that fucking clown. And then he just started busting up giggling. <laughs> so. They updated the soundboard because the, because the digital files out now. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's awesome. Mm. I like how that's your son's way of cussing without cussing. It's like, yeah, don't be mad, but listen to this don't word. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so we have Disney plus and, uh, lo and behold, home alone one and two are on there. And, uh, now, Home Alone three doesn't count for me because that's like one of those direct to you know uh, direct to video. So that's just that's as well four and five as well. Yeah, the, all those movies are bullshit. So <laughs> the only two Home Alones that count are one and two, right? Yep, agreed. Listen, so I we was wa- in Home Alone two. I'm the greatest. Okay. <laughs> so we watched the first one, and you know laughter filled the house, and it was a pretty solid family movie night. So we can't complain. And after everyone went to bed, I got on Netflix and binge watched the movies that made us. And on that first season, not only is Die Hard on there, but Home Alone, the little Christmas movie that could and did change family movies in the 90s, was on there as well. (laughs) Now, I know you're probably thinking at this point in the show that this is a paranormal podcast. So why in the sweet Christmas am I bringing up Home Alone? Where the fuck are the the Krampus stories, the Christmas imp that we call the Kelly Kinkaros? You know, they're the ones that love the smelly shoes, you know, mushroom Santa Claus and the highest fuck reindeers. Well, folks, we've already done that. And actually, we've done it twice because one year we were strapped for time, so we did a repeat of the 2015 or 2016 Christmas special. Oh, professionals. <laughs> right? Episode yeah. 17 was our infamous, um, oh, I forget the name of the mushroom now, um, <laughs> the infamous uh, Santa Mushrooms episode. But yeah, I actually have uh, Anamita Muscaria, I think it's called. Yeah. I have one hanging on my Christmas tree. We found a... Uh, a red cap mushroom at Hobby Lobby, so it's hanging up on my Christmas tree now. Oh, but yeah, you guys check that out if you haven't. If you're new listeners, go back and listen to episode 17 way back when, or we actually replayed it uh, last year for Christmas because we were all kind of running late because of the holiday. But lots of fun stuff in there and lots of really great information. And if you're like me, when I go to like my wife's Christmas parties or just you know Christmas parties in general, I love dropping those facts on people about where. The colors of you know Santa Claus's robe came from, and the mushrooms, and the elf, you know the <laughs> the reindeer getting high on their own, you know, on the Eskimo piss and all that. So <laughs> it really strikes up genuinely great holiday conversation. And if you hate going home for the holidays because you just can't bear the idea of political bullshit talk at dinner, listen to that on the way to your drive to your parents' house or your aunt and uncle's house or your grandma's house, and just laying on them. True. And see where that takes you. 
might be a quick, you know, might be a quick out for you <laughs> if yeah. you start talking about, you know, uh, reindeer eating Eskimo piss. So okay, Boomer, let me give you the true history of Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> oh. But listen, folks, Christmas is more than just presents and the birth of baby Jesus. The tradition of holiday ghost stories or telling stories by the fire goes much farther back, farther perhaps than Christmas itself. When the night grows long and the year is growing to a close, it's only natural that people feel an instinct to get, uh, gather together. These stories are ab about more fundamental things like winter, death, rebirth, and a connection between the teller and his or her audience. So after our family movie night and watching the movies that made us, the strangest synchronicity happened. The next day, I was watching YouTube, and on my home screen, a video suggestion popped up titled 10 Dark Home Alone Theories That Will Ruin Your Childhood. So I copied and pasted that bitch to Sean, and to my surprise, he texted back, Presto, you crazy son of a bitch, <laughs> that might just work. And thus, this episode was born, a dark twist, a reimagining of these holiday classics to make you stop and ponder as we bring this year to a close. So, because I'm a gentleman, I'm going to let mm. ladies go first, and uh, Sean, what do you got for us? Uh-huh. Okay, so <laughs> first off, you're so sweet. So first off, tell me, what are each of your guys' favorite Christmas movies? Fucking Die Hard. Okay, there you go. And Steve, what do you got, man? Um, this one's kind of hard for me because I don't really like um, uh, Christmas in general. So mm -hmm. the movies kind of hit hit or miss for me. But I really, really enjoyed Krampus a lot. I was not expecting uh -huh. that to be as great as it was. From everything from the right. from the design of Krampus himself to all the silly creatures he has, like that shit just is awesome to me. And just yeah, the setting, this, thrill ride. yeah, like it's so good. And then the end is just batshit crazy too. And uh, so yeah, that would definitely be mine. With a close second being um, Die Hard. Oh yeah. Well, mine has been and shall always be the Gremlins. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Ever since I was little, I always thought this is the best Christmas movie of all time. And so I will argue with anybody, Die Hard's great. Gremlins is number one. And that's, of course, outside of, you know, Black Christmas and uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night 1 and 2 and all those other horror movies. But no, Gremlins, man, it just kind of nails it. Kid gets a gift, turns out to be a nightmare. There's Christmas trees everywhere, so it covers all of Preston's checkboxes. It's a pretty, uh, pretty <laughs> solid movie. <laughs> but what I wanted to do was tell everybody a little bit more about, you know, this classic Christmas horror comedy and also the folklore that inspired it. So I got some stuff in here that uh, you guys might not even know. So I think it's going to be fun. So sit back and relax. So the movie that we've all grown up with about this cute little puppy dog teddy bear thing called a Mogwai and his misfit devil spawn, it wasn't... Can you do the song? <laughs> Can I sing it? I could play it. <laughs> I would probably get it confused with Mac and Me song. <laughs> that movie's so unoriginal in every aspect, except Good the only movie yeah. that has a crippled child in a wheelchair going over a cliff. That's the only original that, that part of that entire true. movie. That's the only part. Did, did you know fucking McDonald's funded that movie? Yes, it's basically a commercial. <laughs> a 90-minute commercial yeah. for McDonald's. All these years later, I'm like, holy shit. I, read, I heard that on... Uh, a Paul Rudd interview yeah. might have been on Conan. Actually, uh, it probably was. Whole, yeah, like that's that whole thing. That's but... the only reason everybody knows that movie. <laughs> yeah, that's why it's called Mac and Me. Yeah. So it's, it's so Jesus. ridiculous. 
<laughs> they had the marketing game on point in the fucking 80s and 90s, man. It was ridiculous. They they really And did. then the coffee crotch incident happened and everybody's obese. <laughs> and now well, and you know what? On that coffee crotch thing, we always give that lady so much shit. Oh, and the lady spilled coffee on her, you know, vagina and that Fuck did that, good dude. for everybody. I, I, Apparently. I, yeah, I just listened to the Last House on the Left. Did you listen last to that? Last podcast yeah. on the Why do we say that? That's the movie. Damn it! I listened to that. Yeah, they were they were talking Is about that. Is that the that. Dollar Tree version of the real podcast? Yeah. Steve? <laughs> um, yeah. It's like I seen the I heard them talking about. I was like, shit, I forgot about that. So I looked it up, and oh my god, the photos are ridiculous. I won't look at the photos. Yeah. I don't want to. It's brutal, dude. That sounds terrible. Apparently, yeah. Apparently, she got some literally life changing burns mm-hmm. uh, on her downstairs. So from a cup of coffee, Oof. like it's insane. Oof. Yeah. So the first version was actually much darker than the final film, and the script went through several different drafts before a shootable version of the script was finalized. And even still, various scenes were cut to make a more passable film, including one specifically grisly scene where Billy's mother was supposed to actually have been killed during her struggle with the gremlins, in which it ended with the gremlins decapitating his mom and as Billy came home from school, as he opens the front door, they roll his mom's decapitated <laughs> head down the stairs at Dope. him. <laughs> and then Joe Dante later explains that the scene didn't make the final cut because it made the film much darker than the filmmakers had wanted and set a really unsettling tone for the film. There's also a scene where the gremlins actually ate Billy's dog. And also a third scene was cut where the newly mutated gremlins escape and actually invade a McDonald's, <laughs> attacking and eating the customers and the burgers. Fucking McDonald's, one of their cuts. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, you know, Gremlins actually inspired Mac and Me to a point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That movie was not original at all. It was such a bad <laughs> right. What is uh, right. that's cr- that's so crazy? Because yeah, if they would have done the the decapitation scene at like the very beginning, it'd have been like, what the fuck? Like, how are you going to top that? The rest of the movie, they'd have to go. Another kill, another gruesome kill, another gruesome kill. Yeah, it's exactly. So crazy to think about because that movie. I remember I watched it again for like the. I haven't watched it in a long time, and because uh, I've always, I was just going to talk about this earlier. Like the, for films, when I was younger, it was always about the sequel or the third. I don't never. Yeah. I never like obsessed about the first of these movies. I always thought like the later ones were better, just by just by um, because it's new, whatever. So I always watch mm-hmm. like the new mm-hmm. batch more than Gremlins one, and now um, going back and watching Gremlins one, it is still a dark ass movie. It's like damn. Sure. Yeah. 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 And then when you're little, all you remember is like you know the violence, the cool monsters, mm-hmm. and you know just thinking, "Gee whiz, this is amazing." So yeah, rewatching it, it still kept a pretty dark tone. Mm-hmm. And one other thing that was supposed to be a lot darker is the final key change from, you know, the original script to what we actually got to see is instead of Stripe being a a Mogwai offspring from Gizmo who mutates into a gremlin, it was actually supposed to be originally Gizmo himself that would just transform into Stripe and then into the gremlin, thus making Billy have to square off and inevitably kill his, you know, beloved hell demon mutant spawn pet. Wow. But Spielberg overturned the plot element as he felt Gizmo was just too cute and that audiences would want to see him, you know, presented all the way through the film and also survive. And that way we can sell toys. <laughs> I was going to say, plus imagine the marketing behind <laughs> yeah. that. So. so the story behind Gremlins was actually conceived by Chris Columbus. The rapist? 
<laughs> no, the pillager. <laughs> yeah. No, the writer, silly. <laughs> Uh, Columbus explains that his inspiration from the movie came from living in an apartment in downtown New York that was a loft. He said at night, a noise that sounded like a platoon of mice would come out and he'd hear them skittering all around the blackness in his apartment. Oh, fuck that. So the, <laughs> so the idea of something running around your house, a whole horde of creatures came from you know those nighttime terrors that he experienced in that loft. So then he wrote the original screenplay as just a short story script to show potential employers that he had incredible writing abilities because as a newer film writer, he you know was severely in need for a writing job. That's cool. But, but what's even more interesting here is that Chris never intended for this actual original story to be filmed just to be an example of his writing. But then Steven Spielberg you know comes in the picture. He reads the short took a lot of interest in it because it's one of the most original things he claims he ever read to that point. And so he bought the script. And he's a fucking nerd. <laughs> he likes stuff like right, this. Right, that's very true. That's <laughs> very true. So then Spielberg was so impressed with it that he bought the rights to the short story with the intentions of producing it as a full feature film, thus putting Columbus on the map in a much bigger fast track than any other writing samples probably could have had at the time. Yeah, that dude's huge now. Yeah, oh yeah, most definitely. And so a couple quick facts here that I thought were really interesting. The gizmo puppet was so well done that when Billy first opens the box in the movie, the dog that's on screen actually thought it was a real creature, <laughs> and that's his true response. When he's barking and freaking out, that's really him thinking it was actually another animal in the box. The dog's like, what the fuck is this thing? <laughs> Right. And then Zach Galligan, who plays Billy, recounts that uh, during an interview, he said, when the movie was made, there was no such thing as, you know, real CGI as we know today. So all the gremlins were animatronic, each costing around thirty dollars to $40,000 a piece. So when, everybody left the, uh, so when everybody left for the day from the lot for filming, security had to go through every single cast and crew member's vehicle, searching under the seats, the trunk, under the hood, to make sure that none of these props were stolen. That's amazing. But here's the really funny part. You want to know why they had to go with animatronics? Why? Because the original idea behind this was to actually put gremlin costumes on live monkeys. <laughs> that would have been so fucking tight. Can we do that now? Can you imagine just putting gremlin costumes on monkeys and just saying, all right, let's just see what happens. You got one shot. <laughs> oh, my God. That would be so funny. Right? So they actually, uh, the first time they put the very first costume on the monkey and went to put the headpiece on, the monkey flipped out and destroyed Joe Dante's office, thus having them have to have another quick back-to-the-drawing-board moment and coming up with the actual animatronic version. It's like Dr. Evil. We need laser beams attached to their freaking heads. Like, whoever came up with that idea? Yeah, hey, let's get some, uh, right. uh, what should we dress the good ones up? Oh, yeah, monkeys. That's a great yeah, idea. Exactly. <laughs> you son of a bitch. It might and, just work. Right. And Presto, like you mentioned earlier with Home Alone, you said Home Alone, you know, ultimately changed movies for the 90s from that point on. Yeah. Did you know Gremlins was one of the only two? I'm sorry. Did you know Gremlins was one of the first movies to actually make the MAPP or the MPAA, sorry, come up with a PG-13 rating? Oh. Did not know that. So know Red... That. Yeah, in 1984, Red Dawn and Gremlins both caused them to have to have something a little stronger than a PG for violence, but not quite as bad as a rated R movie. 
Yeah. So thus, Gremlins and Red Dawn were the two reasons why we have PG-13 ratings now. Wow. But is Gremlins rated PG-13? I thought it was rated PG. Nope, PG-13. Wow. That's crazy. I believe, you know, that's a good question. I'm pretty sure it's PG-13. I could have swore. Well, according to Google, Gremlins is PG. PG, yeah. It says, uh, on August 10th, Red Dawn became the first movie to be released with a new PG-13 rating. So, yeah, I bet it was because... To avoid being oh, slapped with R okay. rating in the future, Stevens, or Spielberg suggested that the MPA add a rating between PG and R on August 10th, 1984. Red Dawn became the first movie released. Okay, so because Gremlins then, got so much backlash between the PG and the R, oh, I bet you Spielberg okay, was like, yo, then. you guys need to do this so we don't have this drama again. And then uh, Gremlins 2 was PG-13. Yeah. Oh, okay, I see. Oh. <laughs> Well, now you know. Do your fact-checking, bitch. I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I saved all the fact-checking for this next part here. Yeah, that's cool. Because we'll take a quick little dip into the uh, cryptid encounters here because I want to talk a little bit about the folklore that inspired the movie itself. So a lot of people already know this, but the chaotic third act of the film that involved the gremlins you know, running amok, driving heavy machinery, wrecking havoc is actually inspired by the original folklore of the Gremlin. Some of the first-hand mentions of Gremlins was from the old Royal Navy Air Service back in 1917 and then the newly constructed Royal Air Force in 1918, where supposedly, you can find writings of this, and I read some of them, they said that it appears that they had supposedly detected the existence of a horde of mysterious and malicious sprites whose sole purpose in life was to bring about as much inexplicable mishaps and problems as they could to the airmen's lives. The existence of such weird entities became popularized starting in 1923, when a British pilot crashed his plane in the sea and later reported that the accident had been caused by tiny creatures that followed him on board his plane and proceeded to create havoc aboard the aircraft, sabotaging the engine messing around with the flight controls, and ultimately causing the plane to crash. The story spread, and it wasn't too long after that that other British pilots also began to complain of being harassed by similar miniature troll-like creatures with a mastery of technology and machinery, which caused countless engine failures, electronic malfunctions, and communication shutdowns, including bad landings, freak accidents, and pretty much anything else that could possibly go wrong with an aircraft. So thus, in World War II, there were countless more reports of small troll-like creatures stalking aircrafts. They were said to be responsible for mechanical failures in aircraft at times when it was most needed. Like maybe when somebody, you know, forgot to do the whole checklist. Maybe they didn't finish a repair quite right, or there was shoddy craftsmanship. But what's interesting here... These were U.S. pilots as well as British pilots, but also the Nazis. So it looks like these creatures supposedly actually affected both sides of the war because there are cases of Nazis saying that strange diminutive creatures were stalking their their aircraft as well. So really these things are indifferent and don't really take sides when it comes to war. They just hate humans. Hate them. So it said... What? They hate them. Yeah. So it's said that skilled gremlins are able to take apart a whole engine before an airplane mechanic could even realize the fault of a simple loose screw or crossed wire. 
but the term gremlin actually enters our pop culture in the form of a children's book called The Gremlins, published by Disney in 1943, by author Ronald Dahl, based on the mischievous creatures of old folk tales and military campfire tales. And it quickly took notice by many people. And I've got a couple screenshots here for you guys to see that these little gremlins are a hell of a lot cuter than what we you saw in Dante's movie. Remember when we went to Half Price Books that first time? Uh-huh. And there was that box of toys up top? And oh, it's yeah. the gremlins instead of Walt Disney. And you were like, oh, yeah, that's that's like an old cartoon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Remember that <laughs> that's shit? That's badass. Yeah. It was, all, it was cheap because oh. I was like, damn, if that was a real gremlins toy, that'd be tight. But. Damn, maybe I'll go pick it up. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So so naturally after this, Walt Disney considers making a feature film of the suddenly popular creatures because he's Walt Disney. But there were a ton of problems amongst the story itself because Ron Dahl was still active in the military, so the military itself wanted to have a lot of their say in the production of the cartoon, (laughs) Thus, it never got made because Disney and the military often butted heads about where the story should go. Yeah. However, a Merry Melodies cartoon written by Warren Foster and animated by Rod Scribner features Bugs Bunny. Featuring Bugs Bunny later debuted on October 30th of the same year in 1943. And it was called the fall. I'm sorry. It was called Falling Hair. It starts off with Bugs Bunny reading a book about gremlin sabotage on airplanes. Quite literally, it shows the page saying, A constant menace to pilots are the gremlins who wreck planes with their diabolical sabotage. <laughs> and of course, he kind of reads that murder. and kind of scoffs at it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. <laughs> he reads it, you know, kind of schluffs it off. And quickly, he sees a little guy run past as he's discrediting the idea of gremlins. The little guy picks up a wooden mallet and starts beating on one of the airplane bombs while Bugs Bunny's eating a carrot. At the end of the cartoon, he's battling the gremlin aboard an airplane. And what's really cute is this little guy had a tail shaped like an airplane rudder. He had a helmet with airplane wings, and he himself was able to fly around. So that was kind of a cool take on that classic lore of them being, you know, airplane mechanics and also yeah, you know, trolls. That's cool. Is the fact that these <laughs> cute little guys are actually airplanes in themselves. And like their ears are like kind of pointed like the gremlins and the... Yeah, they're pointed like a gremlin, but they're also dual as uh, airplane yeah, wings. Yeah, wings. Yeah, that's cool. It's adorable, dude. I watched it. It's like an eight minute video, Falling Hair. I watched it before we recorded. <laughs> So Joe Dante had read Disney's The Gremlins and says the book had some influence on his film, but then later during, you know, the last wrap-up of the production in 1983, Dante publicly distanced himself from the earlier works, saying, well, our gremlins are somewhat different. They're sort of green, they have big mouths, and they smile a lot as they do incredibly, really nasty things to people and enjoy it all the while. The original description of gremlins were that they were tiny humans with elf-like ears, yellow eyes, and wore miniature overalls, and carried tools that were miniaturized as well that were the perfect size for them, but allowed them to do human-sized work. Hmm. These miniature gnome-like creatures were fantastic mechanics and makers, but were known to be quite mischievous if provoked or disrespected, which leads them to revel in the delight of causing all sorts of technical problems. Now, much like the other fairies and elves in our, you know, folk stories, we sometimes joke about them being the reasons for our little problems here and there. 
you know, but all the same time, we use these creatures to deflect responsibility for our own mistakes and choose to blame them. Kind of like Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Oh, it must have been the Nargles. Yeah. So they're not really just little assholes for the sake of being little assholes, but they're believed to have lived once in harmony <clears throat> with humans, where they took pride in fixing the most difficult of mechanical problems that plagued our engines and farm equipment. They could use their small size, their tiny tools, and nimble hands to help us in repairing machinery and are even said to be attributed to the development of some of our most smallest and complex engines. But it says that once provoked, gremlins will terrorize humans by blunting their tools, pushing hammers onto thumbs, playing with the hot and cold water in your shower, and even holding down the toaster mechanism a little bit too long, thus burning our toast. So basically, bitch but, shit. <laughs> like just right. annoyance. <laughs> just, that's it. Yeah, they're just little bastards. Yeah. So gremlins finally decided to turn against mankind when mechanics and scientists slowly begin to take credit for the actual gremlin work and slowly thus begin pushing them out of the common knowledge and pop culture of the general world, soon erasing their work from our normal history. So they're almost like, you know, elf cobblers. You'll even notice that this airplane trope is being used in one of the most popular episodes of The Twilight Zone in the infamous Terror at 20,000 Feet with a young William Shatner where he sees this weird teddy bear-like creature outside on the wing of the plane and he starts to claim there's something on the wing. Something on the wing. (laughs) And uh, again, it plays itself in the retelling of The Twilight Zone movie with John Lithgow but this time, the gremlin is a lot more like Joe Dante's creatures with these long, like, dreadlocks and buggy eyes. And weird I some looking shit, yeah. Yeah, weird little creep. But I'll finish things off with kind of a modern-day retelling of the idea of gremlins or an additional threat that not a lot of people know about unless you know about it. Have you guys ever heard about the gremlin or goblin bells on a motorcycle? Riding through this world? No. (laughs) So I'm going to give credit, first of all, to uh, my buddy Tony, because Tony told me about these things long, long, long ago, back when he got his first motorcycle. He had a bell on his, or I think he was talking about wanting to get a bell for his bike, and he called it, they're called gremlin bells and also goblin bells. So the story goes, and it's a Christmas story too. So late one night, an old biker, you know, hair pulled back in a ponytail, real gnarly beard, He's riding his motorcycle cross-country back down to Mexico where he wants to deliver a bunch of toys he's got in his satchel bags after doing a really grand toy run. He's got toy horses, dollies, all sorts of really cool stuff in these satchel bags. And he's driving down this highway, the cool wind in his air, excited about delivering these toys, kind of like a, you know, badass Harley Santa Claus. Up ahead, he doesn't notice a band of treacherous little creatures the road goblins. So road goblins, much like gremlins, are nasty little bastards that kind of lurk and skulk up and down highways. These things are responsible for dragging old mufflers out in the street, torn up tires. They're known to throw handfuls of screws at passing cars, causing car wrecks. They're even said to either scare animals out in the middle of trucks and semis and drivers, or killing the creatures off the side of the road and then dragging their carcasses across the highway. So as he approaches these guys, they pull a big old rusty muffler across the highway. 
The old biker doesn't see it, flips his motorcycle, and lands in the ditch in a fiery wreck. And the old biker's laying there bruised and bloody, his motorcycle's on fire, and he looks over and sees a band of these funny little diminutive creatures gnashing their teeth and swiping their claws at him. They start rummaging through his little rucksacks there and through his saddlebags, start cutting, scratching, and biting on this old biker. So nearby, haphazardly, two other motorcyclists are pulling over on a cross-country motorcycle trip of their own, and they're starting to set up a camp because, you know, now it's close to midnight. they got to get some sleep. So they're setting up camp. They're getting ready to start a fire, and they hear a strange commotion. So the old bikers, meanwhile, going through his sack of toys, throwing the rocking horses, the dolls, the toy trucks, anything he can get his hands on at these creatures, and they just won't stop coming at him. You know, they're, they're tugging at his shoes, they're biting his arms, they're scratching his face. So finally, he's basically exhausted everything he has to try to fend off these creatures. Motorcycles on fire, they're picking apart the metal, they're cutting it with pieces of, you know, rusty metal. And all of a sudden, he reaches in his rucksack with one final act of despair, and he pulls out this piece of leather that has three bells that are braided onto the leather. And in one final act... He starts shaking this bell back and forth and back and forth, these creatures, screaming, crying, you know, get away from me, just leave me alone. And when he opens his eyes through the blood and through all the dirt and sand, he realizes these creatures are now, you know, struggling backward. They're, they're tripping over themselves or tripping over tufts of grass. And he thinks, holy crap, this might just work. So he's screaming, shaking these bells. Meanwhile, the other two bikers are hearing a commotion, so they jump on their bikes, and they take off in the sound of these, this bell noise. They roll up, see a fellow biker on the ground. His motorcycle's just been destroyed. It's on fire. This guy's all bruised and bloodied. And they notice these strange, diminutive little goblin-like creatures are throwing rocks at this biker, and they're kind of surrounding him, and they're moving in once again, and they seem to kind of back away every time this guy shakes these bells. So the two bikers get off. They grab a couple, you know, sticks couple pieces of metal and they chase off these goblins into the night and get rid of them they help the old biker back up to his feet and they say you know we don't know what was going on all we could hear was this bell off in the distance so we thought we better go you know figure out what's going on so the old man says you know what i wish there's something i could do to help you know to repay you guys for your help i don't have anything to give you because all these toys are destroyed all these little kids are going to be so upset but you know thanks to you guys i still have my life so he says, you know what? I got just a thing to give you guys as a sign of my thanks. So he takes that piece of leather and he unties two of the bells and he walks over and he fastens these bells to the bottom of these guys' motorcycles. And he tells them that anytime you're in trouble from this point on, you shake those bells, any biker in earshot will be sure to come to your aid. And it'll also scare off those pesky little goblin bastards. And thus we have the folklore of the goblin or gremlin bells on motorcycles. Hmm. So if you know anybody who rides a motorcycle, give them a goblin bell. Look it up, order them one, figure out you know what the proper uh, procedure is here, what kind, of, what kind of bell to get them. But it says that the only way these things truly work is if you are gifted a bell. You're not supposed to go buy one yourself, but you're supposed to receive one as a gift, and it doubles the magic and helps ward off evil spirits. Because it's said that these little gremlins, these road gremlins, like to terrorize and take apart motorcycles and sabotage just the way the gremlins did on the airplanes. Pretty unique story. 
All right, Presto, so that is what I have about the Gremlins. Why don't you jump back in and share with us your dastardly facts or or what, what do you call these, alternate histories? Yeah, these are going to be, uh, or like theories, alternate theories that uh, fans have come up with over the years that can change your opinion on these holiday classics. Number one. Perfect. Yeah. So theory number one is Old Man Marley's Kevin from the Future. So we have kind of that ghost of Xmas, you know, past, present kind of thing going on. Right. Okay. So in Home Alone, Kevin, his siblings, and his cousins are horrified by their neighbor, Old Man Marley. Kevin's big brother, Buzz, convinces that Marley is the shovel slayer uh, who disposes of his family's bodies using ice melt. And, you know, Kevin, later on in the movie, learns that this is not exactly true. However, Reddit user, and I love these names. You can't go wrong with these names. These are the best <laughs> names. Spooky Cookies <laughs> believes that Marley is actually Kevin from the future and is returning to alter his tragic childhood. Now, I will explain what originally happened in the Christmas of 1990 and the events that led to old man Kevin to time travel and reshape the week where he was left home alone. Now, in the original timeline from old man Kevin, everything that happened the night before the flight of Paris still, still occurs, except Buzz and Kevin, you know, there's no old man Marley because, you know, that's that's... Kevin, so he doesn't yeah, exist, we don't have right? an old man Marley. We don't have an old man Marley. So they still fight, you know, they still leave him at home, they forget him, they fly to Paris, all that BS. And then, you know, the wet bandits break into the basement and, you know, Kevin scares him away. He crawls under the bed. He's overcome with fear, which what eight-year-old wouldn't be. <laughs> and he then makes the most important decision of his life not to be afraid. So that pivotal point of the movie where he goes outside and says, I'm not afraid anymore. Ah. Right. Old man mm -hmm. Marley doesn't exist. There's nobody out there to scare Kevin. So he wakes up the next day unafraid of the world around him. That morning, Kevin's mother contacts the police to check on him. He isn't afraid to answer the door. So when the officers see that Kevin has been abandoned, they take him. And <laughs> that basically leaves the house empty for the wet bandits to ransack. So the McAllisters return from Paris, and that's when things go to shit. You know, the house is all torn up. You know, it's been flooded with the water. Uh, their holidays have been ruined. You know, they're in financial distress. They, they never really recover. <laughs> yeah. You know, they got some child problems. And uh, from that... You didn't just leave your kid in the car. You went to fucking Paris. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So from that, the parents get a divorce, and it kind of really um, spirals downhill, and it splits the family apart, and Kevin never emotionally recovers from that. So sure, I mean, he grows up, he gets married, he has a family of his of his own, but then every time Christmas rolls around, he's got like these deep-seated emotions about, you, you know, his, his family falling apart. I feel you, Kevin. And you. eventually, it comes back to bite him in the ass. Him and his wife get a divorce. His son stops talking to him, and he's going through life trying to trying to find that moment. Like, where did it all go wrong? Like, how did I? How did my life get so shitty? And he realizes it all has to do with that. You know, that night uh, that he got you know left alone, and the you know the bandits broke in. 
So, you know, this movie takes place in the 90s, and so in the 2000s, everybody thought that, uh, you know, that time frame that, uh, you know, you look at Back to the Future, we just thought the 2000s were going to be the shit, like, you know, technology is going to be amazing. So it's not far-fetched to think that the writers at the time when they were writing this were like, it's possible to do time travel. Well, that's what happened. He decides that he's going to time travel back to that, that Christmas Eve and fix everything so that his life doesn't go to shit. So he steals his ex-wife, he steals his kid, and uh, he, you know, travels back to the 1980s. Isn't that called kidnapping? That's kidnapping. Uh, <laughs> buys the house from across the street and, you know, just waits. So we're on to the events of the, of, uh, to the movie. So uh, Old Man Marley is present. Buzz points him out early in the film. He shovels the streets at night as a mean to keep an eye on his childhood home and look for evidence of the wet bandits. And then on the night that the bandits do show up, young Kevin still scares them away by turning off the light. But when he decides to man up and go outside, old Kevin scares him back upstairs. So then the next morning, Kevin is too afraid to go to the door when the police arrive. And thus we enter a alternate timeline and the chain of events from the movie take place. Now, old Kevin gets to the drugstore and he sees the, you know, the young kid buying the toothbrush and he, he thinks quickly, you know, he cuts his hand and uh, he scares old Kevin out of the store and back home because somebody needs to be there to prevent the robbery. And then they meet up at the church at Christmas Eve and old Kevin shares a bit about his life to his younger self, who becomes more confident that he can defend his home. And at this point in the film, old Kevin reaches an epiphany with the help of his younger self and realizes how important family, despite any fear that he has for, you know, being hurt or losing them truly is. So it's like this magical Christmas moment. Mm-hmm. Young Kevin goes back and protects his house from the wet bandits and leads them across the street to the Murphy's home. Um, Harry and Marv uh, corner the boy and then old Kevin steps in and bashes him in the head with the shovel to get a little bit of revenge, but to also, you know, kind of save the day. So then, you know, the mom shows up, bing, bang, boom, everything goes good. And at the end, uh, his he reconciles with his son, and both generations of the McAllister family end up enjoying the holidays together. So it truly is a magical moment and a magical movie. <laughs> What's funny is Spooky Cookies wrote a script that could be a probable movie yeah like i was like that's really impressive (laughs) you know now look did did that did that flow better this time around because i I know last time like we really drug it out with timeline a and timeline oh boy yeah that had me on on edge of of the seat kind of like i i was like okay this is kind of stupid wait whoa this is this is cool like it's crazy (laughs) yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's good. And uh, a fun fact, when they were filming that scene where Kevin's hanging up on the back of that door, on that coat hanger on the back of the door, supposedly when Joe Pesci is acting out those uh, those scenes, he actually bit Kevin's finger in real life and left a scar on Macaulay Culkin's finger. Wow. Because he got no way shit. too into the character and accidentally you bit motherfucker, down you. Uh, too hard. <laughs> yeah, they said he had to make up his own uh, language for that movie because before Home Alone, every movie he was in was just gangster like, you motherfucking yeah. fucking yeah. fucking. That's yeah, yeah. It was like it was very. I mean, he he took shit for taking that movie. They're like, you're mm-hmm. gonna be in a oh, PG sure. movie. What are you doing? He's like, uh, this movie's special. It's gonna be big, and uh, yeah, all his exactly. all his cohorts were like. You're fucking dumb, dude. It's gonna ruin your career. 
<laughs> yep. Nope. And so that's why he had to make his own because they had to keep cutting filming because he kept saying, I'm going to get you, little fucker. Yeah. So that's why you have the freaking <laughs> fragging son of a – That's yeah. awesome. That's where that, that was his own language he had to make. I want to see them outtakes. Oh, my God. Could you imagine? <laughs> Be so and sick. that whole movie was actually filmed in an abandoned high school. So they that scene when they're they're flooding all that home, um, they actually built that set inside the school's pool um, so that they could actually flood it and fill it with water. That's tight. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. Movie magic. Movie magic. Movie magic. Okay, Steve. This one's right up your alley. Theory number two. Yeah, and uh, I'll let you read it, and then unless you've written about. Macaulay Culkin's talk on this. No, 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 I haven't. Right, okay. So theory number two is Kevin is now the killer from Saul. Okay. So I'll, I'll go over this real quick, Steve, and then you interject. Cool. All right. Cool. So, you know, Kevin in the whole movie, he was a kind of annoying to his family, but he was super cute like most kids. However, Redditor Jordoom suggests that because he was bullied and continually abandoned by his family, the youngest McAllister's son was more than a little messed up. By going up against the wet bandits, he learned very crafty and malicious ways of injuring people. Therefore, it's not a stretch that Kevin grew up to be the jigsaw killer, forcing people into cruel life-or-death scenarios. Um, I'm going to say, first of all, that's horseshit, because <laughs> Kevin was eight years old in 1990, and when the Saw movie came out, it was 2004, so that would put him at probably the ripe old age of 22. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's old my thought on Tobin that. Old ass Tobin Bill. <laughs> right. So far, actually, he's just getting stuck in timelines, and he just come, he comes out. Keep the change, you fill the animals. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that was the same exact thing that uh, Macaulay Culkin said. Macaulay Culkin has an actual podcast called the Bunny Ears Podcast. It's pretty good. Oh yeah. And uh, he does like he's. I listened to his uh, thing on Joe Rogan, and I think he was on something else. But they talked about that. They were like all the fan theories, and he talked about. He's like, oh, he's like, yeah, my favorite is that that I was the the guy from Saw. But he's like, isn't that isn't that dude like seventy? Like, and didn't he have cancer? Like, <laughs> and then right. uh, and then he talks about how um, there was that picture going around on Facebook about how it looked like he had cancer. Like he looked really really bad. And uh, that's just drugs. Yeah, yeah, and that's what he said. He's like, yeah, that was kind of, yeah, that was kind of a dark time in my life. He's like, and then, but he did talk about um, the fact that uh, Home Alone. Uh, there's so many theories, so it's pretty interesting to to uh, hear all this shit. But definitely mm-hmm. check out his mm-hmm. his podcast. He's a really interesting guy to listen uh, to talk because he, you know, he's the godfather of um, Michael Jackson's daughter. And so he's got mm-hmm. just got so many stories and like he's very like anti anti acting kind of. He does do like his own acting, like independent stuff that he that he enjoys and like is passionate mm-hmm. about. But like, I mean, he's like your your typical child star and he'll he'll talk about some of the like just crazy shit you had to do as a child and you didn't you didn't know any better and he wishes his he would have you know his parents would have done this his producer would have done this you know mm-hmm. like it's pretty interesting shit yeah but yeah he's not jigsaw right. not jigsaw number three cross that one off number three kevin's dad was in the mob 
Now, the older we get, the more we wonder exactly what Kevin's dad did to afford the sprawling house in Chicago suburb. Uh, that massive family. Hold on. Not just the house. The fact that he's paying for all these people to go to fucking Paris. Right. That's probably yeah. the more the biggest or the biggest question. Like that's a shitload of money. Yeah. Yeah, and to me, I always thought that he said that the uncle that moved to France actually paid to fly the family out. Mm. I never heard that as the dad flew everybody out. Oh, yeah, the dad paid for it. Yeah. Huh, okay. Wow. Yeah, well, luckily for Steve, Redditor Cubanistus has a theory that explains Peter McAllister's fortunes. They suggest that Kevin's dad is a mid-level mod boss, which this is Chicago, so... This is in the realm of possibilities. And if you recall, when Harry comes to the house, initially dresses the Chicago police to uh, offer and uh, to warn the family about the crime in the area, Peter gets all defensive. You know, he's like, am I some kind of trouble officer? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a really bad impression, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, we're also told that uh, we're never told what he does for a living, which is highly suspicious. But in the original script... Um, there was a line that implied that he was simply in the business, which is co-talk for so the mob. when Harry showed up, was he supposed to, I mean, he was obviously not a cop. He just had a uniform portraying himself as a cop. But mm-hmm. yeah. is it like in the story that, I mean, it's fucking Joe Pesci. He's got the voice that maybe he was connected and he was like coming over there to kind of threaten him a little bit or something, that type of thing. No, man. Could have been. Yeah. Could have been. Old Joe Pesci. <laughs> Don't ruin Preston's <laughs> bit. <laughs> yeah. Well, to go along with him being in the mob, that um, theory number uh, four is that uh, Marvin and Harry were working for Uncle Frank, and Uncle Frank put a hit on Kevin. Redditor Luminiscent9 believes that Kevin overheard some seriously damning information about Uncle Frank, like tax evasion or you know something serious. And this prompts uh, Frank to make sure that Kevin is left behind in Chicago. He then hires the wet bandits to kill his nephew. And it doesn't stop there because we don't know much about Kevin's uncle other than the fact that he's mean, cheap, and rude. He also has a lot of kids. Frank is Peter's older brother, but he's certainly not as polished or or as well off. Frank, who's admittedly highly suspicious, hired Marv and Harry to rob the McAllister's place and to gain all their money. Sometimes it's your own family, folks. And when, whenever they're on the plane, <laughs> he like tries to pass it off like, well, he'll be all right. <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> yeah, he's Get out of you, you, you pervert, for I slap you, silly. Yeah, like, it's crazy, man. That dude is a piece of shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, that's funny shit. Mm. These are so good. Yeah. All right, so the next one's my favorite, and it's Gus Polinsky is the devil himself. So, the one uh, fan favorite moments in Home Alone is when the late John Candy appears as the polka singer named Gus Polinski. Gus offers Kevin's mother Kate a ride from the Scranton uh, airport, Scranton. and uh, so we're going from basically Pennsylvania to Chicago. Scranton. Just before Kate, Kate, huh? What? Yeah. Office joke, bro. Get said, with the fucking picture, son. Come on, get with it. Get with it. Uh, so just before Candy steps into the frame. Uh, you know, exhausted Kate exclaims to the airline agent, um, you know, I will get home even if I have to sell my soul to the devil himself. And that's when Gus notices her and offers her a ride. Reddit user Honest Coxie 
<laughs> suggest that <laughs> underscore <laughs> underscore <laughs> uh, suggest that even though Kate takes the ride, which is pretty strange and creepy, she could have remained at the airport and arrived home just at the exact same time as the rest of her family. It's 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 as if the universe or the devil uh, himself was playing tricks on her. And there's also a creepy crossroads in the Scranton airport, which also suggests demonic behavior. And uh, so Sean, when we recorded this originally, had brought up like, what are you talking about crossroads? And apparently there's like this weird, uh, like, you know, like, uh, uh, what's the uh, Robert Johnson uh-huh. that we talked about, how he was at the crossroads and he sold the souls to his devil yeah. to, to learn how to play guitar. That in the Scranton airport, that uh, people claim that there's a crossroads area there, and a lot of times people end up selling their soul to the devil to, you know, get a ride home somewhere and other shit. So, yeah, it was something that stood out to me because five minutes later, the family walks in the door. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Oh, there was also that weird, uh, like uh, they had that weird conversation in the back of the of the uh, U-Haul. Because they didn't take like a normal like van, they were actually in the back of a U-Haul truck, right? Yeah, because the devil rides about, in style. Yeah, yeah. and he, oh, he but he talks home. about how he left his kid at a uh, at a funeral parlor, um, and so that like that really threw people off. Like, why the why the fuck would you know? Why would you have that conversation? Like, right? Because he dropped him yeah. off. Yeah. So, anyways, the last theory is that uh, Marvin Harry or Christmas spirits. So <laughs> Sumo Joe. <laughs> Suggest that uh, kind of Willy Wonka Home Alone is, is actually who what now? So what kind of Willy Wonka shit is this? <laughs> <laughs> Redditor Sumo Joe suggests that Home Alone is actually giving us a Christmas Carol, uh, a Christmas Carol vibe. They believe that because Kevin is a, a pretty heinous kid at the beginning of, of Home Alone and wishes his family would disappear, Harry and Marv show up as Christmas spirits to help him remember how important family is. So even if your dickhole brother doesn't show up for Christmas, you know, it's still important. Oh, my God. (laughs) In Home Alone 2, they reappear again when Kevin, who has his father's credit card, gets carried away with spending. Harry and Marv are there to remind him about the importance of giving and what Christmas is really about. This could certainly be plausible, but Harry and Marv are some pretty horrific Christmas spirits. However, this would explain how they kept surviving Kevin's beatdown because if you ever watch the YouTube videos on, you know, the damage that these these traps would actually do, like that paint can to the face yeah. at the height and everything, that would actually almost rip your neck off and like break every bone in your face. So Yeah, or the fucking the brick. Oh, oh god, yeah. like <laughs> right. Well, there's a movie uh right now on Shudder. I think you can probably get it other places too, and it's called Better Watch Out. And it looks to be more like a horror take on Home Alone. Mm-hmm. Like a kid and his babysitter are home watching TV one night, and then uh, I think their house is broken into. I haven't watched all of it yet, but the trailer looked a lot like Home Alone. That sounds tight. Yeah, so it's supposed to be a pretty good movie, so I might finish that this evening. I just don't the, – the Christmas spirit's like – to me, it's not a Christmas spirit. That's just kind of the the – function of the movie like it's supposed to make you think that like you know like even though holidays are stressful and you don't like your family most of the time you still got to figure out what's important at the end of the- i mean isn't that like the message of the movie yeah yeah it's two turtle doves so like and I mean, a partridge in a pear tree i just don't see them being no dumb dumb the two turtle dove magnets they're christmas decorations yeah i know 
I was just finishing the line of the song. Right. <sighs> all right. <laughs> okay, go on to perhaps the most overrated movie of all time. Oh, you don't like The Nightmare Before Christmas? Sean hates everything that has music in it. He's basically Henderson Man. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that's why we retired him to the nursing home. <laughs> Poor guy. Hopefully he's feeling better. Yeah. All right, so Nightmare Before Christmas. All right, mm-hmm. so this was another one of those movies that has some dark theories about it that could potentially change your view on this movie. So... The number one theory is Jack Skeleton was, in fact, once humans. Yeah, no shit. Yeah, he's a skeleton. What? Right. What dark theory can you possibly make to make me think that Nightmare (laughs) Before Christmas is not a dark movie? Okay, hold on. Let's just, let's go over the flow here, okay? (laughs) These are all from Reddit users, so (laughs) some of them... Apparently, they weren't like, uh, you know, sugar cookies from the first one and like stayed up all night with cocaine and milk and uh-huh. like, you know, wrote this time travel in death story. OK, we can't get gold all the time. However. <laughs> <laughs> OK, okay. I'm interested. Go on. Yeah. <laughs> so his origins were never really touched upon. So some would ask, where did Jack come from? Why was he a skeleton? Right. The pumpkin king. Some would bro. Say, Right. Some would say he's simply a skeleton because it's the time-honored symbol for the spirits of the dead, like the candy skulls or the Day of the Dead statues used in Hispanic cultures. He stated as being the spirit of Halloween and the king of the pumpkin patch, making him uh, making the skeleton a plausible form for him. Yet, in the video game Boogie's Revenge, a line from Jack states he once owned a guillotine as a child. In the song's uh, Jack's obsession, a lyric from the song states that there is something he keeps forgetting, like a memory of being alive, but as time has passed in the Halloween realm, it has faded from his memory. He does take off his head a lot. Yeah, in this opening song, This is Halloween, Jack wears a pumpkin costume and then lights it on fire, burning it away to reveal his skeleton form. This could be taken as a symbolic recreation of him being burned alive as a human as fire would burn the flesh away, uh, away, leaving only bone before turning to ash. And if we look at the movies that Tim Burton did, Frankenweiner and The Corpse Bride, and then The Nightmare Before Christmas, we can see a progression of a boy and his dog, Asian to a man with his dog, and finally end up being the Skeleton King and his ghost dog. Whoa. Hmm. Yeah. That's pretty dope. But I think that uh, I read about that, like Tim Burton has... Uh, a thing with uh, something, something with a dog, like a boy and his dog type of thing. So that's why mm-hmm, he incorporates mm-hmm. that into a lot of his movies. Here's my fan theory from Reddit user Seanster the Monster. <laughs> Seanster the Monster. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. I bet. I, you know what? I bet Jack Skellington is none other than Charlie Brown. Yeah. The great pumpkin oh. king. And that would make uh, the the ghost dog Snoopy. Holy shit! Whoa, that's amazing. Everybody loves that shit. I just I can't get, I can't get into it. I never have. I I think it's just the time for when it came out. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, my dad like tried to make me get into that, and I'm like, this is the weakest shit ever. We're pissing off so many listeners yeah. right now. <laughs> All right, so theory number two, I won't go over because you know it's basically you know everybody in Halloween Town is dead, so no fucking shit. Right? Yeah, yeah, you got a skeleton <laughs> yeah. that takes his These head off. These are the weakest theories I've woman. ever heard. Yeah, Oogie Boogie, and also a scientist who can remove his own brain. It's like, hey, yeah. theory number one for the movie Jurassic Park: there's dinosaurs <laughs> in it. They're all, 
They're all dinosaurs. Oh shit! <laughs> like... They're all dinosaurs. No shit. <laughs> dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. What? Oh my god! All right. So there's another theory that's uh, called Burton versus Disney. So Halloween Town and Jack symbolically represent Burton in a style of storytelling, whereas Christmas Town and Santa symbolically represent Disney in the innocence of childhood and Disney's style of storytelling. The battle between the two towns in the film symbolically represents the battles Burton experienced while working with Disney and how he viewed them as not a good fit. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. Look how much money Disney makes off that fucking merchandise, though. Yeah. Crazy. And uh, the last one is cultural appropriation. So cultural appropriation is where one culture takes another's tradition, ideals, food styles, and integrates it into their own. Oh, you mean Christmas. Yeah, even Christmas. (laughs) In almost all cases, something from that original culture, like, you know, the idea that Santa Claus was high as kites off mushrooms, gets lost in the process, right? Yeah, because that would be the one fact. (laughs) It would get lost. (laughs) Now, some fans believe that the story of uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas is really a story about cultural appropriation and how it is flawed and how we should not do it. Halloween Town tries to take over Christmas, and it goes wrong, and the true meaning of Christmas is lost on the Pumpkin King. So leave shit alone, you motherfuckers. Wow. Huh. Yeah. (laughs) So look, those weren't as good as the Home Alone one, I I know, and it gets worse because I found one from (laughs) Elf with, uh, um, oh shit, what's his name? Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell, there we go. So this theory is Buddy the Elf is a mutant. So by pointing out Buddy's feats of strength, including hauling a Christmas tree through New York uh, City unseen, decorating all of Macy's uh, flawlessly in one night, and walking from the North Pole to New York City with no assistance or injury, Reddit user Tibsby creates an undeniable picture of Buddy as either a human with superhuman strength or a mutated elf created by Santa who then sends him to a family who has lost the true meaning of Christmas or Buddy's all sugar diet leads to uh, super strength and the uh, ability to uh, not have rotten teeth. Or maybe the fact that elves have magic. Yeah, we're okay with having Santa Claus in the movie with a flying sled, but mm-hmm. Buddy's a mutant. <laughs> yeah, yeah no shit. Go back to sleep, Tipsy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he must have been hitting that meth instead of that cocaine. Man, lots of edit son this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so the Christmas movie Love Actually. That's a that's an actually that's a nice romantic Christmas comedy. You guys should it's watch that. It's a good that. movie. I own it. I, I like it. Yeah, I like it. Mia in that movie is a demon. Now in the movie, the character Rufus, played by actor Rowan Atkins, a.k.a. Nope. Mr. B. Rowan Atkinson. Oh, Rowan Atkinson, mm. a.k.a. Mr. Bean, shows up twice in the movie. His first appearance is in the department store, where some say he deliberately takes his time to sabotage the purpose of the gold necklace uh, by Harry, a.k.a. Alan Rickman, Hans. or his secretary, Mia. Successful in making the purchase later on in the movie, he gives the gift to Mia, who is wearing devil horns, and after the gift exchange, kisses Harry under the mistletoe. This event leads to Harry's marriage falling apart. Rufus also shows up once again in the airport, helping Sam declare his love for his school-age crush. 
In both cases, the Christmas spirit Rufus uh, helped characters obtain or save love, making love actually a Christmas story of the battle of good versus evil. Huh. Yeah. And the last one I got is the hobo that's on the train, on top of the train on uh, Polar Express, um, was a, a passenger who actually died on the train. And uh, I don't know, it's not a very strong theory. And I actually watched the that movie today with the kids, and at the very end of the movie, like he waves goodbye and then like disappears in the wind, and you're like, "Holy shit, that's like a like a Star Wars Force Ghost type thing that just happened." So maybe that uh, Reddit user uh, has some credibility to that theory. I don't know. Hmm. I've never seen that movie. All right, it's all yours. <laughs> hey, I like those, man. I like those. Those are good. It was fun. Yeah, I've never seen Love Actually. That's good. Pretty solid. I think I have it on Voodoo. You should watch it. The Holiday is a good movie too, with Jack Black. Holiday. And, um, what's a chick from Titanic? Kate Winslet. Kate Winslet. Yeah, it's a good movie. I was gonna say Kathy Bates, but I don't think that's. <laughs> She's uh, in that. She's in yeah. Titanic. Is she really? <laughs> yeah. She played the loudmouth chick. Oh, uh, you know what movie I've never watched? Beyond Braveheart. Titanic. Titanic. Here we go. I'm edgy. Ooh, I hate everything. <laughs> I'm just calm talking with you. <laughs> calm down. You want me to calm down? <laughs> Your attitude really sucks, dick. <laughs> All right, guys. So are there any other holiday movies or specials you want to throw in here to kind of conclude this episode? I've got a couple here that I think everybody ought to watch. Uh, Twilight Zone was mentioned earlier. You should all check out the episode called Night of the Meek with Art Carney. Stupendous episode of Twilight Zone. You got a really great message, and it's just uh, still holds true today. Sweet. And then another episode of Twilight Zone is uh, The Five Characters in Search of an Exit, which is another Christmas-themed episode. And then I will uh, throw one more at you guys. If you're Black Mirror fans or mm. if you're not, check out White Christmas phenomenal yeah. episode pretty pretty fucking brutal yeah yeah it is what about the santa claus killer from american horror story season two yeah that was kind of cool but that was more or less just one episode right what about the didn't he show didn't he show back up in uh the uh freak show he may have yeah uh, Black christmas the original not the remake i haven't watched the remake but i just watched the original the other day Pretty wonderful Christmas movie if you're into slashers, and it set the uh, set the stage for Halloween. Definitely the best Christmas movie of all time is a movie called Santa Slay. It's actually a With demon. Bill Goldberg. <laughs> yeah. It's actually a demon who lost a bet with an angel. So he becomes the giver of toys and happiness. But when the bet is off, he returns to his evil ways <laughs> with Bill Goldberg. Oh, my goodness gracious. <laughs> or the Jack Frost movies. <laughs> Those are hard to watch. Terrible. Those Ugh. are painful. I watched uh, Jack Frost the other night, and thank goodness I was drawing while I watched it, so I didn't, you know, just waste an hour and a half of my life. But Right. Uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night yeah. 2 was pretty good. I watched that one. It's pretty much basically the first movie. Or uh, any of the Santa Claus movies with uh, Tim the Toolman Taylor. Ugh. Like, you could just forget those. They're oh, terrible. Yeah, yeah. They've been on all fucking, all weekend at work, and that's all the clients watching. It was terrible. I wanted to pull my... Oh, I like the first one. Ugh. Yeah, I mean, the first one's definitely the... 
easiest to get into. But the rest of them are trash. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. Uh, jingle, jingle all the way. <laughs> terrible but funny one. movie obviously the classic uh national lampoons christmas vacation i love that movie yeah. a lot of people love that movie uh and the classic for me that i always i like watching and maybe once every five or so years is uh, it's a wonderful life that's a oh yeah classic i've never watched that brutal uh brutal beautiful movie brutal. <laughs> it's a beautiful movie it's got bill goldberg in it yeah <laughs> yeah plays a little girl <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of people like a Christmas story. I can never really get into that movie as much as everybody else, but it is uh yeah. up on everybody's yeah. list. Put your eye out with that thing. Yeah. <laughs> There's a sequel too. Oh, really? Yeah, it's one of those crappy sequels that came out like, you know, two decades later when he's in college or whatever. That's crazy. I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Was it direct to video? I think it was, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, I say let's go ahead and pull this layout and finish this episode. Steve, what do you want to uh, plug? Ooh, definitely check out our Instagram at PXL Paranormal, right? I always forget there's so much. There's like para, there's paranormal, right? There's PX, yeah, PXL Paranormal. There you go. Same cool. as Twitter. Same with Twitter. And you can check us out on Facebook, Pixelay Paranormal Podcast. And also on Facebook, you can look at my awesome new display picture on my profile that someone drew of me. They drew my roommate's girlfriend drew a self-portrait of me of my high school yearbook photo. <laughs> and it is the most hilarious shit ever. And I posted like it was so crazy. I wanted to record a video of my cat every time I come home on Monday after being gone all weekend. I come home and the cat's like rawr, rawr, going crazy. And I wanted to record that. And as I walked into the front room. There's the drawing, the sketch <laughs> on the table. And it like totally caught me by surprise. You get to see a, an authentic reaction video. That was pretty cool. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's such a such a funny picture. Other than that, I want to thank all the listeners for uh, hanging out with us this year. And we are thankful for you. Oh, and shout out to <laughs> Big Dob. I mean, Preston's going to drop the line later. But he sent us all um, a gift package and in, in incredible incredible dude and I, I loved yeah dad definitely loves you more steve yeah, <laughs> yeah. i don't know what <laughs> i don't I, fucking pop yeah. doll. I think he know uh, yeah i don't know why like i i like ghost and and it's cool because it looks really badass um and it's an and it's an exclusive so thanks dude that shit's badass and i love i love yeah, all the neat. all the um all the beard balm i did uh gift one on to brady since he's gonna be uh with us on 13 nightmares and he's really enjoying the the scent that I gave him. I think I gave him fresh. Ooh, so nice. he says he, oh, he yeah. likes it, and as does his wife. Cool. Well, check out my favorite race car podcast ever. What's it called, Preston? Sports Cars Unleashed, where if you're not first, you're last. Hell yeah. Check out the rest of the shows on the Pixelated Sausage Network. Mark's solo show, Pixelated Sausage. Check out his Attack the Backlog 13 Nightmares is on its way. Should be dropping the first part of January. We'll have a Patreon set up. It's up right now. If you guys want to throw a buck or two at us, you can. You're welcome to. We'd love it. If not, we still love you. The plug. CD Trade Post. Check out our friend mm -hmm. Leslie and CD Trade Post. You're going to be having definitely some killer sales there. after Christmas, yeah, I would imagine. Are going to be. Oh, yeah. Check out gunslingersoap.com. Yeah. Preston, what do you got, buddy? And as always, if you need a beard, if you want a beard, 
if you want to grow a beer that will melt the snow and Mrs. Claus's North Pole, check out BigDobsBeerBomb.com wow. and use promo code PXLPARA for 20% off your order. And check out scents like Dundee Cedar because I posted about our wonderful Christmas gift that we got from Dobbs and a gentleman commented, and I won't give you his name, that said, Dundee Cedar makes my wife horny. Mm. So there you go, folks. It is the gift that keeps on giving. You can you still have time to order it and you know you can't put it in stocking suppers this year, but you can save it for next year or just keep giving it. Yeah. Oh, and we also got the soap bars as well from Gunslinger Soap. The Capone. Yeah, that shit did. smells hella good. I got Capone. Yep. It's going to be awesome. I think we all got a Capone. Yeah. That's what I got as well. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Hell yeah. yeah. Check them out. Makes Definitely. me want to buy, uh, buy a fucking Tommy gun, dude. Calm down, Corey. I'm going to be the connected <laughs> one. <laughs> yeah, Corey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I'd like to say, you know, it's the Christmas uh, time of year. I want to say just a huge thanks to everybody who's listening as well. We got to meet a ton of just truly fantastic people this year. You know, we got to meet a bunch of listeners. Listeners became friends. Uh, we had a great time up in Omaha. We've had a great time just all year meeting people, you know, uh, just meeting people, you know, on the street. People are, you know, like, you know, people are, are approaching us uh, that we don't know. It's just it's been really fantastic. So just a huge heartfelt thank you to all you guys. And uh, do us a favor. I know our listeners, you know, base has grown exponentially. Send us your personal paranormal stories, your ghost stories, your I saw a UFO in the sky. Send us your creepy stories. DM us. Send us a message on Facebook. Send us a message on Instagram. Send us. A- Even if you want to write a fictional one. <laughs> yeah, that's I, true I like too. That I, we, too. We would love that. Yeah. yeah. Send us your own creepypasta. Email us at pixelatedparanormal.com. Dot com. But yeah, reach out. We want to do another listener story coming up here pretty quick. I'd love to kick off 2020 with a listener story episode. So that'd be cool. That's a call to action right there. Uh, send us your stories. Ask your family. It's Christmas when you're sitting around the table, you know, trying not to bring up anything political. And you've already exhausted all your fun facts about Frau Perchta and the Yule kids, and the Yule lads that we told you about you on look, episode seven. You just look at your grandma and you go, hey. You ever seen Bigfoot's dick? Yeah, you got a ghost in your blood, Grandma? (laughs) (laughs) Ask your family. Be the weird one. You want to leave early? Ask if they've ever saw a ghost before. You walk. (laughs) Be the weird one. (laughs) You're like, may I be excused to go to the restroom? Okay. You go to the restroom. You come out crucified on a cross. Oh, God. What's up, guys? I thought you were going to say with a sheet over (laughs) your head with the eyes cut out. (laughs) Yikes. You said it'd be weird. Like, that'd be weird, man. Maybe don't follow Stevens. (laughs) stigmata yeah. <laughs> but yeah send us your stories we'd love to hear them it'd be awesome but yeah most of all thank you guys so much for following us on all the medias that are social uh for listening for writing in and uh, yeah please keep it coming send us those spooky stories and tell your friends oh also shout out to seth groves art i won a contest on facebook for a personalized sketch that he's gonna he's gonna do for me so that's pretty oh, awesome yeah. star wars related so pretty excited for it and yeah, uh pretty whenever he gets it in on we'll make sure to put it on the instagram and give him a shout out yes hell yeah that sounds fantastic presto you got anything else buddy as always folks thank you for listening and stay spooky and stay on the paranormal highway and remember everybody if your air conditioner goes on the fritz or your washing machine blows up or your video recorder conks out 
before you call the repairman. Turn on all the lights. Check all the closets and the cupboards. And look under the beds, because you never can tell. There might just be a gremlin in your house. The cast at Pixelated Paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical, the strange, the unknown. Tales that will move you a little further down the paranormal highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. Email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Again, that's pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange.